welcome to Talking You Retina. This is a series exploring the latest developments in the world of retina. We'll also keep you up to date on the latest news, events, and strategy from the European Society of Retina Specialists, Uretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. Two really interesting expert discussions on uveitis and AMD coming up in the next couple of podcasts. But this week, we're going to be talking now about uh, how to tell a story with your data or research with one of the world's leading data storytellers. First, though, a reminder that our next case club is on the 27th of April with Professor Paolo Lanzetta from Udine. You'll see lots of interesting cases with expert panels discussing each of them. And it's a good way to encounter different uh, challenges from a clinical perspective and how uh, different people have approached them. So that's the next case club from Udine, Italy on April 27th at 8 p.m. CET. Find out more at uretina.org. Now, as I say, this week we're looking at how to turn data and research into story, something I'm very passionate about. We're joined by one of the world's best experts, Brent Dykes. He's chief data storyteller and founder of Analytics Hero. He's also the author of Effective Data Storytelling. Welcome to the podcast, Brent. A lot of people have probably heard of this idea of storytelling, and it's it's certainly something that I'm an advocate of. But for a scientific and a clinical communities, why is it important to use a technique of storytelling with your data? Well, often we want people to understand and appreciate the insights that we've uncovered. And so data storytelling or storytelling in general is a really effective means for communicating our insights to someone else in a way that's going to connect with them and engage them and hopefully um, get them to embrace or act on the insights that we're sharing with them. I suppose one of the things that we learned from the pandemic is that information alone is not enough to affect behavior change or attitude change. In Ireland, we really didn't see the audience responding much to all of the data that was being pushed at them by the chief scientific officer and all of these media outlets. It was only when people started telling stories of individuals who went on holiday, got COVID, came home, trained the local football team and ended up infecting all of those, going to a restaurant, infecting people at the restaurant. It was only when we heard those stories that we suddenly saw a big change in how much people were willing to go out, whether or not they were wearing masks and so on. It was a true testament to the power of data storytelling. Yeah, I mean, often, you know, we're bombarded with data, we get all kinds of information on a constant basis, and it can be hard to really make sense of it all and really take it seriously in some cases, as we've seen with the COVID uh, numbers that we were bombarded with. Uh, but then, yeah, when it's put in a narrative format, when we see the impact, when we, un- we can really appreciate what a particular data point or finding or insight means, uh, in in a structure of a story, it can it can be really effective and really persuade us to to take action or do something differently. What do you mean by storytelling? One of the examples I like to share actually comes. It's a historical example. Probably, maybe many of your audience have heard of Ignis Simmelweis. Um, and Ignis Simmelweis was a Hungarian doctor in the 1800s, and and he was working at a, a a hospital in Vienna where they were looking at uh, trends of, of patients. And this was a maternity uh, hospital, university hospital that trained doctors and midwives. And the interesting thing was when they, they had two clinics, one that trained doctors and one that trained midwives, and they found that the mortality rate uh, d- due to a childbed fever, it was an illness that afflicted a lot of these, these pregnant women, 
um, and they died a few days later after catching this illness. And for whatever reason, the the mortality rate in the doctor's clinic was more than double that of the midwives. It was about 10% and the midwives is about 4% mortality rate. And and over the course of five or six years, they, they consistently the, the, the doctor's clinic was much higher. And at this point, they didn't know about germ theory or anything like that. And so they, they didn't know if it was the smell in one room or it was the temperature in one room or was room one room more overcrowded than the other? Was it the delivery techniques of of the midwives compared to the doctors, they really didn't know until one day when a doctor, a fellow doctor at the hospital was performing an autopsy on one of these patients that had died. And a student doctor accidentally cut his hand as he was performing this autopsy. And sure enough, that wound got infected and that doctor died a few days later. And Ignis was out of town and came back. Uh, he had the difficult job of performing the autopsy on this doctor. And that's when he had his aha moment. He was like, wait a second how this doctor died is very similar to how these, the pathology of how these women were dying. And so he, he was drawing, he was connecting the dots. And he's like, wait a second, we, we perform a, a standard practice at this hospital. Many other hospitals is to perform autopsies in the morning and, and then do their rounds of examinations, deliveries the rest of the day. And so he was like, wait a second, maybe there's particles from these cadavers that are on these doctor's hands and they're passing them on to these other women and making them sick. So he instituted a hand-washing policy at that moment where he'd have doctors, when they do the autopsies in the morning, he said, okay, you have to wash your hands in this chlorine lime solution. And once they introduced that policy, for the next 18 months, they had a significant drop, like an 80% drop in the number of mortalities to this childbed fever. And, and over, over the course of the, those 18 months, you know, he, he saved uh, lots of lives. And then Unfortunately, at the end of his, uh, right when he was about to be renewed as the chief administrator, his superiors said, nope, we're, we're dismissing you. And basically, he uh, was ostracized in the medical community, couldn't get any, anybody else to hire him in Vienna. He had to return to Budapest, and he waited the next 10 years for his research to really catch on, and it never did. And he died, never seeing any impact. And part of the thing that I, I the reason why I share this example is, I believe he failed to tell a data story. I believe he, he didn't visualize his data so other people could interpret it and see how powerful his technique was. He didn't build a narrative around it. When he, when he published his journal article, he had um, it was like 500 pages and 60 plus data tables, and he never did anything with it. But at the same time, Florence Nightingale, she actually served in the Crimean War and she saw the ravages of, of how having unsanitary conditions in the British hospital during the Crimean War led to the deaths of many other uh, soldiers. And when she got back, she was enlisted by activists that were seeing how during peacetime, British soldiers were suffering from, they had a higher mortality rate than the general public in peacetime because their hospitals and their barracks were unsanitary. And so she created a visualization to kind of show her experience in Crimea and how um, having these unsanitary conditions would actually lead to deaths. And she, she actually said, I, I want to get through the word-proof ears of the general public using these visualizations and really convincing people. And she was successful. Unlike Simmelweis, she was successful. She was able to convince the, the general public to, to lean on their politicians and actually institute reforms to their hospitals and their barracks and, and actually led to thousands of soldiers not dying 
So what we're talking about today, Brent, then, is is taking data or pieces of information and elevating them to sort of like a traditional story where there is um, a meaning and some sort of moral, essentially. So often when we think of stories, we, we think of traditional kind of literary story. That's that's a story uh, where you have an arc, right? So you're you kind of have the, the characters are introduced at the beginning. There's something that occurs where they call it the inciting incident where something happens to the main character and then they, they, they launch on a journey. And then through different conflicts and different things, interactions, actions, they build up to the climax of the story, which in the case of a data story would be the insight that we're revealing. Maybe a metric has gone up or a metric has gone down. We've we see something that catches our attention, and, and that's kind of, a, I call it the hook, right? It, it's something that's going to get your audience interested in the data. And then from there, we start to unpack, what, why is that occurring? Why do we see this um, anomaly in the data? What's what's contributing to it? And so we start to explain it and build up to our main finding or insight, which is what I call the aha moment, which is the climax of a data story. And then the other thing is, we don't leave it at just, oh, here's an insight audience or here's an insight patient, you know, good luck. No, we're going to take that that insight and say, okay, here's what you need. Here's We've looked at the options. We've looked at the solutions to this problem or, or this opportunity that we have. What can we do about it? And so that's also a part of the what I, I consider um, part of the, the data storytelling framework. So can you give me an example of um, of how you work, how you turn information into a story or insights that people can then make decisions on? Yeah, so I think the key thing that I always say to people is, you know, if we just have a bunch of observations, we don't really have a data story. And so it really comes down to what is the main insight that we have. If we've done a bunch of research, we've done a bunch of analysis, have we found something that's meaningful to the audience we're sharing it with. And, and often the, the thing about scientific data is it's all about discovery, right? We're, we're following the scientific method. We're trying to, uh, we have different hypotheses that we're uh, trying to validate or invalidate and form new theories. And a key part of good data storytelling or storytelling in general is surprise. And so when we have a new insight that, that replaces an existing well-established explanation, you know, we have this new way of looking at things. That's great material for a data story. So you have to have that insight. I think that's the key thing. And then from there, we have to think, okay, how do we, we've got our insight. Where does the story begin? Where do we start the story? So it goes back to that hook I was talking about. How do we introduce people to this topic? How can we catch their attention? How can we get them interested in this? And then we have to then determine how much information to include or not include. But but really, I think it comes down to having an insight or not having an insight. And if, if we don't have an insight, then we probably don't need to tell the data story because we're just sharing information and nothing more. We're not trying to drive any change. We're not trying to change their opinion on something. It's just, oh, here's some more information. I think that's a really yeah. important observation that uh, if you are trying to affect behavior or change, that's when data storytelling becomes really important. And uh, I think sometimes just sharing information can, can of course be useful, but if you want to change behavior, if you want um, to introduce a novel way of doing things that you think other people should employ, then you need to think beyond just giving information. You need to be able to 
compel people by uh, giving them the insight, telling them how you got there, and then offering ways that they may change their behavior as a result of it. And some people, some scientific, you know, on the scientific side, we don't want to bias people. We feel like we have to be very objective. And often what data storytelling is about is helping the audience to interpret the data in the correct way. And that's different, right? We're trying to hold their hand. We're trying to guide them through the numbers and help them come to the right conclusion or the right insight or understand the insight in the right way. Okay, so I can see how data storytelling would work well for a non-expert audience, such as patients or the public, for example. But specialists in research, in uh, clinics, speak a very different language when they are together in a room. And I'm wondering whether or not you think it's important for researchers to think about how they speak to each other when they both have some overlap of expert knowledge on a particular subject. I, I Sometimes I look at um, analytical people and I see that they kind of seem, oh, I'm, I'm presenting this to my peers. I, can, I don't have to simplify it. I don't have to streamline it. I can just give it to them almost raw. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's still an opportunity for your audience to misinterpret your data. And, and nobody, you know, we can be bored. You know, I've, I've sat through very technical discussions and I'm just like, oh my gosh, where is this going? I have no idea where this is going. It seems like there's no point. And I get disinterested. I go on my phone, I start to, you know, think about other things. And then, you know, sure enough, I've missed the, the crux of it. So I think there's still ways that we, when we're, even when we're communicating to our peers who we have a higher, you know, we believe that they have a higher data literacy level than maybe a, a patient would. I think there's no excuse to not tell data stories and to invest the time and effort, especially when we're trying to convince others, other peers of ours to embrace a new explanation. You know, there's there's an existing, uh, well-established explanation, scientific explanation for something. We've made a new discovery. We're going to have to convince those individuals to drop or embrace this new paradigm or this new explanation. And so any way that we can communicate our ideas in a more clear and understandable way, I think that's 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 helpful. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I have worked with lots of researchers and clinicians in my work. And a lot of the time, what they want to do is just give people the data because that's the information that they know and they think it's the clearest, most objective way of doing it. And I think it was Voltaire who said the best way to bore people is to tell them everything. Um, and I think it's true. I, I, I think we are human beings. I have been at conferences and seen scientific presentations where half of the room were on their phones and the other half uh, were asleep. And sure, you may be giving information that is very specific to a, a particular subject. And there's probably a good number of people in that room who understand everything you're saying. But there's probably a large part of any event or, or uh, audience that maybe need a bit of translation, they need a bit of insight, they need to be told what this information means and, and why and how to act on it. And it's important to know it's not an either or, you can still tell the story and give the important data that you need to give. Yeah, if you think of all these conferences that you've sat through, how many times do you remember any of the presentations? You know, that's a big thing. Memorability of our information is also really like understanding it is one thing, but being able to recall it and appreciate it and remember it, that's another thing, you know, and I think that's sad. I've been to multiple conferences where I've sat through, I can't recall anything, you know, I like literally like 30 minutes later, I'm like, I can't remember 
anything from that presentation. So there, there is a, a norm amongst researchers. And, and if you're speaking uh, at a webinar or if you're presenting uh, at a conference, there is this way of speaking. And it's sort of expected of you to, to follow suit. And I've often had researchers ask me, if I, if I speak the way you want me to speak, people will, will think that I don't know what I'm talking about or people will, won't respect me as much because I'm not following the, the norm of presenting data in this very dull, very graphic, heavy way. What do, what do you say to that? I think it, it's ultimately about the outcomes, right? What do we want people to take away from our communications? If we, we just want to conform to some established kind of, this is the way we do things, this is the way we've always done things, but we can look at the outcomes. Basically, we're bored out of our minds. We're really not taking much action on what's being shared. And, and so in those cases, I'd say we need to drive towards a new outcome. And that's where if we want our ideas to really stick and resonate and engage people and, and, and invoke uh, discussion and get people excited and, and maybe doing further research on uh, the research that we've found, I think we have to embrace a new uh, approach, a new framework, and, and, and maybe look at shaking up the way things are done and not just conforming. Because again, at the end of the day, we're gonna be vanilla if we do that. We're not gonna stand out. We're not gonna, and we're not gonna drive the outcomes that we need to drive. We need people to embrace our ideas, to act on them, to, to think differently, to behave differently. And I, I think that's the power of data storytelling. Yeah, it, it may not, it may be different. It may stand out initially, but then I think uh, people won't know what hit them. They're going to be like, wow, that was so engaging. That was so different. That was so refreshing. I think yeah. that does happen. Uh, every once in a while, someone does break the mold and people uh, really lean into that. One of the things that really should drive the decision on whether or not to start using data storytelling is, as you say, outcomes. That uh, we know from scientific research that people are more moved by story. They are more moved by uh, emotion than statistics. And when we talk about patients, we certainly know that patients need to have that story laid out for them. But there's kind of a need to take care with patients, right, Brent? Because telling a story is one thing. You do also need to make your messages really clear and present that information very carefully because you're talking about someone's health. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, obviously we want to make sure that the communication is coming across clearly. But, but I think that the key thing about a data story is we're trying to get them to take some action, to, to make a decision, to do something. And so the story framework can actually position, I need you to change your behavior in this area, or I need you to make a decision whether you're going to do this or not do this. And so I think it, it can be um, an effective means for, for really communicating to a patient why they need to take some action or make a decision to improve their health or vision. So you've certainly sold the idea of data storytelling to me. In a simple bullet point way, how do you recommend an audience goes about trying to turn their data into story? Uh, I think you, you need to take your research, you need to go through it and figure out what is your insight. You know, Rather than focusing on a collection of insight, is there one main insight that you want to focus and communicate? You also need to think about your audience. Who are you communicating with? Uh, obviously, if you're communicating to a patient, you're going to approach that differently than if you're communicating to a peer uh, who's, who has more of a scientific background. And so I think that's important as well. 
And then you need to construct your narrative and say, okay, what is my insight? Remember what I said about the hook? And then, and then figuring out what is essential to explaining that. And then what action do I want people to take? Have I thought through uh, what are the actions they need to take? And then is there a way for visualizations, data charts to help me explain my insights in a more clear and easy to understand way than if I was to just drop a, a data table on their lap? Well, Brent Dykes, Chief Data Storyteller and founder of Analytics Hero and author of Effective Data Storytelling, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Talking New Retina. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have comments, complaints, criticisms, suggestions on what we should cover on the program, you should email us, podcast at uretina.org. We'll take them all. Two very interesting podcasts on the way, scientific discussions on AMD and UV-itis, so look out for those. But in the meantime, I'm Jonathan McRae. This is Talking Uretina. I'll see you next time.